0: First ten verses here this morning. And as we look at this this morning, we're going to look at the, to begin with, we're going to look at the priests, the high priests, and how they were able to take the sins of the people to the altar, their sacrifices, and they were able to. Be gentle with them and work with them because they, could, they understood, they, could, they have experienced it. You know, I stand up here this morning and you know, we all have our weaknesses. I, I can't see very well. Bert, by his own words, says he can't hear very well. I'll let the rest of the leadership team speak to their weaknesses. You can draw your own conclusions. But it is interesting to see how God uses imperfect people to bring people to the one perfect person that walked this earth to minister to us to provide for us to make a way for us. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of man in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently With the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness, because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Well, as we continue through Hebrews, we continue to focus on who Jesus is. Last week, we focused on his sinlessness. Today, we look at his sovereign appointment, the position that he was appointed to, how he was appointed to that position, and the provisions that God made through his appointment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your provision. We thank you for your love. We thank you for how you use your children to minister to your children, how you use your children to glorify you, to bring others into your kingdom, Father. God, give us wisdom by your spirit to interpret this text this morning, to learn from this text this morning, to apply this text this morning, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we have, similar to last week, another history lesson as we look at the position of high priests. In verse 1, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. These were men from among the nation of Israel, they were people just like the people that they were serving. Israel, the nation of Israel, could trace the succession of high priests back to Aaron himself. Aaron, this was the brother of Moses. He was the first high priest of his type and representative of other people chosen from among men. But they were appointed to offer gifts And sacrifices for sins. We're going to get to the appointed part in verse 4. Their job was to offer gifts and sacrifices for the sins of people. Including their own. Because if a sacrifice was not made for a sin, the person was condemned. Is condemned. Verse 2. He, the high priest, can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness, since he himself has weakness. The writer of Hebrews says, deal gently. That does not mean that he ignores the ignorance and the waywardness of the people. It means that he can relate with their sinfulness As he deals with it, he knows what they're going through. We know that. We believe that about Christ. That started with these earthly high priests. They could deal with their the suffering. They were ordained to deal with the suffering, with the ignorance, with the waywardness of their people, with long suffering and patience. Now, you've heard me say this before, but it's worth repeating this morning: to call someone ignorant is not an insult. It just means simply that they don't know. It's hard to imagine that the Jews, the original audience of this letter to the Hebrews, would have been ignorant of the law or of the things of God. They had many, many resources available to them. Nothing like we have today. But as far as the time went then with the teachers, with the scripts that they had with how the scriptures were passed down, how the law was passed down. They had the truth available to them. It was woven into their culture to learn and to understand and and to to know this. And as a result, they were probably very knowledgeable. But it is possible to be knowledgeable and ignorant at the same time. To know what to do But to have no idea how to do it, or why they should do it. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at the first seven verses of this chapter. Paul wrote, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swirling with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning, and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. I was drawn to this chapter by verse 7. And then as as I was reading it in context those first six verses I just could not read verse 7 without those first six verses. And as you read those verses you see a picture of our world today that is a long list of wretchedness. But I think it's honest to say we see all of that in our world today. A very sad picture. It used to be that you saw these attitudes outside of the church. They existed in the church, but the enemy kept them covered up. Today you see them openly displayed within the so-called church. And I'm not judging, condemning, calling out all churches. I'm just acknowledging that there are places claiming to be churches Biblical gospel churches who are embracing some of the very things that were listed in that chapter in 2 Timothy and still claiming to be true to the faith. They are not. And instead of seeking the inspired word of God to change hearts. It's being used to attempt to justify sinfulness. As I mentioned, this sinfulness has been in the church. It's needed to be purged out of the church for millennium. But until recently, it has been publicly shamed, publicly called out as sin, yet just another sign of how near we are to the last days. A faithful follower of God must be able to honestly apply knowledge to circumstances despite the personal cost. Whether that is, whether a decision we have, like what car to buy, who to marry, or whether or not to put our faith in Christ, we make wrong decisions for one of two reasons. And those two reasons are ignorance, as laid out in this verse, or Sin. Some may say there's a third factor, and that's fear. Fearing anything other than God is sin. So on the premise of making decisions, there are two factors that can lead us to a wrong decision. Ignorance and sin. When making day-to-day decisions, we can never know everything we need to know to make the perfect choice. We are not all knowing. We are ignorant to some degree. Sadly, often failure is our best teacher. But when it comes to our eternal status, ignorance will not be an excuse. While it's difficult to understand, people are born in to different circumstances. But we will ultimately not be able to blame our circumstances for our eternal status. We will not be able to blame our parents, our friends, our spouses, our government, our school teachers, our Sunday school teachers, our youth leaders, or our pastors. John chapter 15, verse 22, Jesus said, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. You might say, well, if that's the case, I want to stay ignorant. Well, if you had stayed ignorant, if Jesus had never came, sin would have had eternal dominion. The world would have ended long ago. We would have destroyed ourselves. And everyone would have been condemned for eternity. But because Jesus came, we have the opportunity to know the truth. Revelation chapter 14, starting in verse 6. John wrote, Then I saw another angel flying overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Hear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs and water. Again, ignorance will be no excuse when it comes to our eternal status. But in the meantime, like the high priests, we are to be gentle with the ignorant. Now, to be wayward, on the other hand, the two conditions mentioned in this verse was to know what to do and to not do it. One commentator says that this waywardness comes up short of actual rebellion. It's more of a wandering or drifting away. The high priests were to be gentle with these people also. We know these people today. They have all the knowledge, all the examples, all the experiences, yet they still drift. It's not a calculated drift. It's not an attempt to deceive or to an intentional desire to be evil. It's just foolish. But it is also a choice. The high priest could relate to the ignorance and the waywardness of his people because he knew the same weaknesses. Verse 3. Because of this, he is obligated to offer a sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. Verse 4. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God just as Aaron was. This verse makes it clear that the priesthood was not a volunteer position, one to be chased after. The priest did not, a true priest, did not just take the position for his own honor. Just as God called Aaron, the high priest only assumed the position after God called him. Aaron did not apply to become high priest. He was not elected for the people by the people. God called him to be high priest. Exodus chapter 28, verse 1 Then bring to me Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. High priests. Numbers chapter 3, starting in verse 10. It goes on, And you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall guard their priesthood. But if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel, Instead of every firstborn who opens a womb among the people of Israel, the Levites shall be mine. God chose a specific line of people to serve as priests. It had nothing to do with their individual merit, it had everything to do with the tasks that had to be performed. The high priests. Like any genuine spiritual leader should be, we're servants. And even though the high priest held an exalted office, his office was motivated by service and marked by humility. We can get a little worked up about our leaders today in politics. Those who have power too often abuse that power in an attempt to keep that power or expand that power. What they don't understand is that God put them in and he can take them out. Do you believe that this morning? It's in scripture. God is sovereign. I forget that sometimes. I get a little sideways when I see some of the things in the news about how the people in power are abusing their power. God's the one in power. He's the sovereign. Let us not forget that. As Christians, it's not about the process of choosing our leaders, how corrupt or how pure the process is. God is sovereign in whatever means. It's truly about our faithfulness in the midst of it with the opportunities that we have and the influence that we have. We are called to be responsible, to take care with our opportunities, but then trust that God is sovereign over the whole process. Like Aaron and all the high priests between Aaron and Christ, Christ, who was appointed, he was appointed. Starting at verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. These were two quotes from the book of Psalms. Now, we're going to look more extensively at Melchizedek in chapter 7 of Hebrews. But for our purposes this morning, we want to note a couple of things. Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, where Melchizedek is first mentioned. And this is coming to Abram. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. Salem was the ancient name for Jerusalem, as an interesting side note. And Melchizedek was the king of Salem. And we all know the place that Jerusalem holds in the history of the one true king. There he ministered. In this text, he came out and he ministered to Abram. He was no blood relation to Abram. And while he lived before the time of Aaron, centuries before Aaron, these words quoted in Hebrews predicted that the Savior would come through a line of priests, not traced back to Aaron, but in the order of Melchizedek. The priests in the line of Aaron were not priests forever. Jesus, however, is a priest forever. Aaron's descendants were priests, but not kings. Israel's kings could not serve the functions of the priests. In fact, those who tried faced dire consequences, such as Saul and Uzziah. The central point here is, like Aaron and his descendants, And Melchizedek, in God's sovereignty, Jesus was appointed as priest. And like Melchizedek, Jesus was a king, is a king. Man had responsibility, as God did this, but had no control over it. Man had responsibility. In recognizing these individuals, but God had control of appointing them. Starting in verse 7, we see the provision that God made through this appointment. And there's a lot here. Verse 7 In the days of his flesh, while he was on earth, speaking of Jesus, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. With loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Like the high priest descended from Aaron, Christ had to be human. He had to come in human form. Able, so that he would be able to sympathize with those who he represented. And called by God. Jesus' humanity allowed him to sympathize with us. And to illustrate this, the writer reminds us of how, while Jesus was here on earth, he agonized as he prepared to face death. Although Jesus cried out to God, asking to be delivered, in order to do God's will, he was was willing to, To face humiliation, separation from his father, and death. He offered prayers with a loud cry and tears. He knew that he had been sent to die. He spoke of it on several occasions that that was his purpose. But in his humanity, He faced great fear and sorrow over what he knew would happen. He knew that it was going to be awful. And in his humanity, he did not want to die. But he submitted himself to the Father's will. And because of his reverence, his pure devotion to God, God heard his prayers and he overcame death through his resurrection. Verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. God himself, the all-knowing God, born as a human, actually learned something in the suffering that he experienced. Understand this, he knew obedience. He did not have to experience it for himself to understand it. He experienced it for our sake so that we could know that He knew, so that we could make no excuses. Verse 9. And being made perfect, He became the source of salvation to all who obeyed Him. The word perfect does not refer to Christ's sinlessness. Jesus was already perfect before he faced suffering. His suffering didn't make him perfect. It fully exposed his perfection that was already there. By sharing our experience of suffering, Christ shared our human experience completely. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because Christ lived, died, and rose again, he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. These last words are important. First Peter chapter one, starting in verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. When you don't obey Christ, We are proving that we don't believe him. God exposed our sinfulness through the law. He used the priesthood to show that those sins could be atoned for. He sent Jesus as the great high priest to be the complete and final atonement, to pay the final price for our sins. We are now a priesthood of all believers. We don't make sacrifices for our sins. We don't make sacrifices for other people's sins. We aren't the sacrifice for sins. We point people to the one who is. Like Jesus and the high priest before him, you are appointed To be exactly where you are in your life. To have the influence that you have. To face the suffering that you face. Unlike Jesus, your suffering does not reveal your perfection, it reveals your need for a perfect Savior. It removes your excuses of ignorance and sin. It gives you every opportunity to make the right choice when it comes to making Jesus the Lord of your life. Don't fight your appointment, embrace it. The longer you fight it, the longer you will be where you don't want to be. When you stop fighting it, your circumstances may not change, but your perspective toward them will. And like Jesus, your reverence will put you exactly where God knows that you need to be, for His glory, your good and the good of others. I pray that you know that this morning. I pray that, as we sang this morning, that there ain't nothing going to steal your joy, despite your circumstances. I guess it's J.R. saying this morning. Nothing can steal our joy when we embrace the sovereignty of God and understand that where we are in our circumstances is appointed by God. It may be for our good. It may be for God's glory. It may be for the good of someone else. But ultimately, it is to bring us to the place That God prepared for us by appointing his son to live, to die, and to be resurrected in victory over sin and death. God was appointed, Jesus was appointed so that we didn't have to fight our appointment. I pray that you find rest in that truth this morning. That you are walking in the reality of the provisions of God's sovereignty. And then you're not walking in ignorance or sin, that you're walking in the power of truth. And as you face each suffering, as you face each trial, you are looking to the finished work of Christ, who faced every degree of suffering, every degree of temptation that could ever be presented to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the gift of your son. We thank you, God, that you appointed him. That you appointed him to step down out of heaven. To be the perfect sacrifice. So that our imperfections would no longer keep us from fellowship with you. So that our imperfections would no longer keep us from eternity with you. That by his perfection, proven through his life on earth, facing sin, facing temptation, that through his perfection, his righteousness imputed upon us, we will be ushered into eternity with you. When we put our full faith and trust in you, something we cannot do by our own power, by our own might, But again, something we can do by the provision of the power and the grace of the life, death, and resurrection of your Son. May we embrace that this morning and every day, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.